Welcome to Answering, the podcast about vocation from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm your host, Matthew Phillips. This is episode four, and if you're finding us here for the first time, please visit us at anchor.fm answering or your favorite podcast source. Click subscribe, follow, rate, thumbs up, whichever thing looks best, and catch our other episodes too. The idea behind this podcast is that we're all looking for answers, and the best way to find them is to sit with other people who themselves are in the process of answering. Vocation is not about finding the one thing you're meant to do in the world, but finding the way you are meant to live in the world. For Kate Reese, this is meant starting her own business while using her skill and experience to help nonprofit organizations find their strategic paths, too. At the beginning of this year, Kate founded Reese Bottling and Canning, a new business to support the growing craft beverage industry in North Carolina. She'll share about the unique aspect of vocation for an entrepreneur, not figuring out how to use your talents but having faith that your talent will be enough. Kate, right. thanks for doing this. Um, having me. Well, it's it's an experiment. We uh, don't know how long and how many uh, fans we're going to have uh, for the podcast. Tons but of fans. I, well, you're going to have tons of fans. I think your interview is going to generate them. It, I, this for is, sure. This is when it takes off. Right, right here. here. Yep. Um, so let's start uh, before your business empire began. <laughs> that is very strong word. <laughs> what did you want to be when you were a child? Um, well, I think I wanted to be a ballerina and then probably a lawyer. Those were you know, very Was that diverse. because of a ballet injury that you decided maybe well, a lawyer was better? I don't know. I, I'm argumentative and stubborn, so I thought the legal profession would be good for me. But That's I why people told me to do it, yeah, too. There you yeah, there you go. I didn't, I didn't take that path. So Anything between ballerina and uh, education professional slash beer canner? You know, I have had many professions. I've been a fundraiser um, for a long time and ran a nonprofit within Wake Forest, which was fun. Um, I always have envied people who knew what they wanted to do from a young age. Like the kids that love to cook and they know that that's like their calling. I don't know that I even knew my calling until recently. So I think it's wonderful when people know a calling young. So what do you identify then as your primary calling? Well, at the moment, it's a, it's a carbonated beverage canner. So I can, I can we talked about anything uh, carbonated, so specialty soda, mead, I can can mead, um, and mostly beer. That's, that's mostly our client list. So if it's got bubbles, I can put it in a can for you. <laughs> that's my calling. Okay. Um, when did you know that's what you were called to do? You know, well, I've had this idea for a few years. I mean, this brainchild started like five years ago. Um, And I really, in the pandemic, we were spending so much time at home. And I needed something to hold on to. I mean, this idea really drove me for a long time. There were days that I thought, like, I should hang this up or put this down. I still have ideas. I think I should hang this up and put this down, but um, it really pulled me. And so I actually give this business idea, this sort of vocation, this calling, if you will, um, a lot of credit for helping me mentally 
emotionally survive that last year. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I don't know if all of our listeners will know that your other role uh, mm-hmm. uh, is at an independent school in town. Um, and it seems similar to my work in that, like, I've got to be around people. I've got to be at school. I can teach online a little bit, but yeah. my work is very cooperative. And so uh, I think people whose work was not easily, like, put in a delivery bag or yeah. something. Uh, it's hard that, to make that, that made, on Zoom. Yeah, exactly. That made the pandemic a little tougher. Yeah. Well, and I'm extroverted. You may know that. <laughs> a little bit. Most people listening probably know that. Um I, I get a lot of my energy bucket filled by being around people. So when we all went home, I, you know, I struggled. Mark, my husband, who is introverted, was like, took up jogging and planted a garden and like thought life was great. And I was really kind of lost for the first like six months. I mean, the kids were doing virtual school. It was, it was a hard year, I think, for obviously lots of people had it much worse than we did for sure. We're very blessed, but, um, yeah. Well, so you did something to keep going. You said, um, you know, sort of half jokingly that your calling is to put bubbly beverages into cans. And I, I don't think that's actually what you believe. Like (laughs) where in the work, where in your task is what feels like vocation feels like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, so I built this canning company to serve small breweries and specialty soda folk, you know, like small shops. And there are other canners out there that, you know, for lots of reasons that make lots of good sense and they do a really good job. So this isn't, you know, a slight, but they want to have volume. They just want to go for the big dogs. They want to go out there and can tons and tons and tons. And what feels like a calling in this for me is being able to go in and either someone who's never canned before help them through that process so that they can take their precious craft, you know, that they've made and push it out in the world, you know? And I just, I think that's like a really remarkable thing to be able to provide that service for somebody. So um, maybe it is the service element of it and, and just also sorting, serving, I guess, the, the small shop is what feels good about it. Well, it feels you know, I've had a chance to talk to some other people who um, are developing others uh, as their vocation. Mm-hmm. You've got some real common elements with that because you're, you're maybe not teaching someone how to make <laughs> their craft soda or beer. I but, cannot do that. But it can't. Their work can't get into the world without you. Yeah. And, you know, this goes back to, I mean, not to like belabor our pandemic conversation because you know, everybody's tired of that. But um, a lot of people, when the world shut down, had no way to do that. So so breweries or, or you know, craft shops and whatever that couldn't have people come to them anymore, they need help getting their product out into the world. I mean, or they will close their doors. Yeah. So it's it's a you know economic imperative for people. So I, this is a relatively new business, and so yeah. the answer to this might be uh, everything. <laughs> what about your work? What about the way that you are interacting with uh, craft beverage makers? What about your calling requires you to be an actor sometimes and, and yeah. do something well, you're not quite confident of yet? You know, it's funny. I 
learn every single day. I mean, I uh, two weeks ago, I drove a 26-foot box truck, which is about as big of a truck as you can drive without a tr- license. And, you know... This I, is as much... This instant is as much as I've ever wanted this to be a video podcast. Because <laughs> there needs to be a picture of you with My the 26-foot box truck. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yes. I, I hope there are not pictures of me because I was probably gripping the wheel and my, you know, it was a little terrifying. And so everything, I mean, a lot of things about this feel new and different and scary. And the way, I mean, I drove a forklift. By the way, they didn't teach us that in MBA school. You could potentially suggest that. Warehouse management. I'm going to add that to my class. Would be a nice, you know, I could have really used that course. Um, But one of the things that really keeps me going in that space is I feel really strongly that our kids need to see us as their parents push themselves outside their comfort zone. Mm. So I want them to know that you are never too old to try something new. You're never too old to do something that scares you. Like we were actually having a conversation about going to sleepaway camp. And one of them was like, mommy, I'm nervous. And I said, I completely understand. I was nervous to drive a 26 foot box truck down the highway. (laughs) And they said, really? And I said, yes, yes, absolutely. Like I get nervous all the time, you know? And sometimes when I go out and I talk to somebody and they ask me a question and I think I know the answer, but you know, I haven't been doing this for 45 years. So sure, there's absolutely some element of you know, feeling like a little bit of an actor. Um, but I will say I've, st- I've studied really, really hard. And you, you teach school, so you know, like studying it is one thing and then putting it in practice and having experience is the other. So the experience will come, but, you know, do something every day that scares you. <laughs> Drive a box truck. <laughs> it's kind of cool how the, I mean, I'm fascinated by the way that we, we end up having to act some of our calling and, uh, yeah. Hardly, I mean, like, people around us realize that's happening much less than we do, right? Oh, uh, yeah. People just assume you know what you're doing, even if you miss the answer to a couple of questions they ask. Yeah. Um, I love the way you spun that, that um, <laughs> it's actually really important for uh, kids especially, but maybe others around you, others in, in your orbit yeah. who see you as such a, a together, thoughtful uh, you know, talented person to see you do something that like, yeah, I actually have no idea. To do. No. And, and, you know, it's funny. I think what it's also taught me is do any of us really know what we're doing? I mean, really? Do people? I, I do. Yeah. Well, I'm, you I'm maybe, you might be the only one, but <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people go through life and they're nervous, you know, like sure. think about like you chair a big event or you speak in public or you, you know, get asked to lead some, effort at church or something like it's nerve-wracking but I have a whole new appreciation I think for that now having really done something especially as of late lots of things scared me we I'll tell you we put the um, biggest piece of our equipment on a lift gate of a box truck a said box truck that I was driving and it really barely fit I'll be honest and this is like a 1600 pound piece of equipment and mm-hmm. I really didn't want to be caught between it and the ground because it would probably just crush my win. legs yeah, yeah it would win and it's made a steal so it would definitely win um and I remember kind of standing there thinking like okay there are two options here either I figure this out 
or I don't. <laughs> Those are the options. We're going to have to go with option A because option B is just not an option. And sometimes that helps, you know, when you're in the space and you're scared. There just is no other option. Yeah. It's either do it or don't. And don't's not an option. So go. Oh. Has that been happening a lot? A lot. It's a <laughs> lot. It's a lot of... That's a, Well, I mean, I think that's a lot of anything new. You know, you just have to keep going. Sometimes that's more pleasant than others. <laughs> you, you've taken a few different roads, so... <laughs> Maybe the answer to this question is none left, but what, what's the road not taken for you? Well, I, you know, that's... Are there things that you thought you would be doing and you kind of wish you were? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm an Enneagram 8. You know, we've done Enneagram work at church and at Canuga and stuff. So it's never stuck in for me, so you're going to have to say at, eight So means. the 8s think we can do all the things, and we can do them all at the same time. And we can probably do them better than everybody else. That's how we feel. So... It is kind of interesting. I um, I am great at biting off more than I can chew and then just somehow figuring out, all right, like, we just have to swallow. Like, here we go. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think I thought for a long time, back to thinking I'd be a lawyer, I think I thought I would go to law school, and I didn't. And I occasionally wish that I had. I also, this is a whole other thing, was, but when I was choosing between MBA school or not, the other choice was going to a program at UNCG, which they don't even have anymore, in historic preservation. Mm, yeah. So that I could restore old houses. I, I don't know. I just really love old houses. My husband does not love old houses, so he will not go live in one with me. And <laughs> since I love him, you know, we just have a nice little brick ranch. But I love old houses. And I love, you know, the other theme here, too, I love working with my hands. Mm -hmm. I like to finish a day a little bit dirty and hence my boots and, you know, my warehouse. But um, I don't think as a woman, especially in the South, that anybody ever really encouraged me to do that. And so I'm kind of glad at this point in my life I've just decided to hell with it. Can we say that on a church podcast? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a theological term. Hey, Dixon was the first guest. Yeah, right. So I mean, it'll the, be fine. All the fences have been That's run right. through already. There you go. A lot of people don't feel like they do this on a regular basis, but, but in what ways do you bring good news to people? And not good news in the sense of like, oh, we're done with your canning project, yeah. <laughs> but good news in the sense of the world is a better place than you thought it was. Uh, your your life is going better than you thought it was. There's a brighter future than you maybe were aware of. God is with you. This are, are there places that that sneaks into your work? Yeah, I firmly believe that one of my gifts is being a cheerleader for people, for and and highlighting people who are maybe too modest to highlight themselves cheering on people that need it um and I think especially other women in business I feel really you know strongly that women need to support each other in that space you know mothers or not it's you know a different road for women um and so I think that's maybe part of the answer of that and then you know in my canning work and even in my independent school work honestly I mean in that work I get to work with students and kind of help them find their path 
So, you know, back to saying, like, as a woman in the South, nobody encouraged me to go tear up dirty old houses or certainly not can beer. I'm, like, pretty sure all of my past educators might be horrified by my my profession at this point. Um, But... Well, now, wait, I am one of your past... <laughs> are you horrified by I, my choice of profession? I am one of your past educators, actually. <laughs> you so, are. That's true. No, I think it's awesome. Okay, well, good. All right, at least I get one point. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's important to encourage people and encourage others. And, you know, going back to, like, being an actor, I think we all feel that way sometimes. And so when other people around us say, that was great, or good job, or I see you... I see what you did there, you know, good job you, that meant something to me. I think it helps us all kind of shake that actor syndrome a little bit. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I love the job that you've done, um, probably with a bigger group than you realize, of sharing just on Instagram and social media what was happening as Reese Bodling and Canning is getting started. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of times that I looked at what you're doing and thought, oh my God, well, there are all my excuses for not doing something I think I should be doing are out the window. Because Kate just moved that 1,600 pounds piece of equipment up on the lift gate. Yeah, well, so. uh, we didn't show that on Instagram. Uh, well, I know. <laughs> but now I know it, and that's what I'll I picture. Learned, I learned how to use a lift gate, by the way, that morning. <laughs> and then I put my most expensive and most long lead time build piece of equipment on it. So maybe don't do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I hear you have a favorite spot at church, and I'm just going to promise that I'll edit this out okay. so, so no, no one, one goes who's there. in our parish will <laughs> actually go there. Um, maybe there'll be like a global version of the yes. podcast, yes. and, and we'll, it can, we'll edit it can, this out for the Winston-Salem audience. That's right. You yeah. can tell people about it then. So behind the loggia, there is this like little sunken chapel garden mm-hmm. thing. I'm sure people know about it. But I will tell you, every time I go, no one's ever there. So stay gone, everybody. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Um, What's nice is it's right off the road. And so I was actually so nervous the day that we were going to start doing training. So we trained with our Canadian friends on Zoom on this equipment. Mm -hmm. Mind you, I've never touched this equipment before in my life. I was, this was not what I did before this and I was so nervous so the manufacturer instead of coming down Mm -hmm. to you to guide you on the equipment because Canada's COVID restrictions are just really intense and so they were going to do it on zoom and I was nervous about that and I was just nervous I mean I was just nervous you know this anxiety and anxiety is not a normal feeling for me that is not a space I live in a lot and so I think even feeling anxiety was making me anxious yeah you know what I mean like uh, yeah And so before we started training, I went, and I have several other times in life that I have like gone to this little space too. Like when I was pregnant with the twins and that was really scary, I would go there a lot. Um, But it's just this little tiny square spot and there's some stained glass in front of you. And if the little kids are in session, then you know, you can hear like little children's laughter behind you, which is sort of a wonderful sound, as you know, you appreciate. Um, and it's just a really nice place to be still with God, which you have kids and you get this. Sometimes home is not still with God. Like I have two dogs and three kids and, you know, things are just wackadoo at our house. So 
um, I have to go somewhere to be still with God sometimes so that, you know, nobody asks me for a snack while I'm trying to, like, have a moment. And so I go. I like this little spot. It's just, it's beautiful and peaceful. And I don't know who keeps it up, but it's beautifully kept up. So shout out to whoever does the grounds in that little section. Well, it's, it's fascinating. You know, what a great theological metaphor, right? That I mean, if you think about the nave at St. Paul's, it's a very public, uh, you know, Ralph Cram, mm-hmm. neo-Gothic structure that everyone loves. Yeah, it's beautiful. But no one is ever alone in it. No. Uh, I mean, of course, sometimes. Um, and next to it, I mean, up against the wall of yeah. it, you found this very quiet, almost always solitary kind yeah. of place. Um, that you know, maybe just adjacent to the the public faith that we have, maybe right up against the wall, yeah. needs to be this place for quieter, kind of one on one. Like I'm going to do this the way I need to, and and it's outside, which you know I love to be outdoors. That is a thing for me, but I like that there is no ceiling mm. between me and the heavens. For some reason. That helps me feel closer to God. I don't know. To each their own. But I love that little spot. I'm going to go check it out next time I'm over there. Mm-hmm. But if you're there, I'm going to leave you. Well, I was about to say. <laughs> and, you know, and honestly, sometimes I think this is another interesting thing. Um, back to the Enneagram 8s, we do not like to be vulnerable. I really struggle with vulnerability. It's actually opening a business has been the hardest piece for me is to, like, really breathe deep and think, okay, I have taken this passion and this craft and I'm like putting it out in the world and who's going to use it? You know, like, can we stay in business? Is this going to be a thing we can do? And that feels very vulnerable. But prayer is also kind of a vulnerable moment. And probably like a lot of people, for better or worse, you know, I go to this space when I am feeling weak, when I am not feeling like, I am Kate, hear me roar. I go to this place, you know, tearful or scared or name all the emotions that we feel as humans, but that are not what we want other people to see. And so it's nice to just be in that quiet space. So other than the times when you go to the special spot at St. Paul's in the garden, yeah, when in your normal routine do you feel the closest to God? So I... Within the routine, I would say the mornings. So I like to get up early and I like to exercise. So I typically get up at like 5.30 and I go to exercise and I come back. Obviously, that's new. I've been able to just start doing that recently again. Um, But I like to either get up when it's dark and be up really early because I feel like I beat everybody to the punch or occasionally not as much now that I have had kids and I'm just getting older but occasionally I used I used to really like to stay up really really late but in those moments like either early 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 or late 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 after everybody's gone to bed I like to feel kind of peace I especially like it and this is going to sound very strange um I love when all my household machines are running I don't know why but I, there is a piece I find when like machines are doing their job and I can just kind of sit down for a minute. And that sounds crazy probably. That might just be like, cause I'm type A, 
Does that happen mm-hmm. when the canning machine's running and you're a, just watching it? A little bit, it does actually. When it's really clicking, it can really it can get up and run pretty quick. I mean, it can do twenty six cans a minute if you really let it, you know, do its thing and don't mess with it. But there is a piece I find when the dishwasher's on or the canning machine's running, the coffee pot. I love to set the coffee pot to auto start. I don't know why. Yeah, I wonder if the I wonder if part of it is that in those moments, like it's your job to sit still and let something else work. I there is probably truth in that. I think there's truth in that. Yeah. And and I'm it still feels like there's work being done. I struggle with rest and relaxation. I, not that that would shock anybody listening to this, probably, or you. Um, so yet, like your your Puritan roots that mm-hmm. want to be working are satisfied, but you're still. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and I, I think you know a lot of times people assume that the more technology, the more machinery, the more automated life gets, the yeah. less we can engage spiritually. Because you were talking earlier about the um, the the sense you have from working with your hands and being a little dirty at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people resonate with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're articulating a way that actually automation and machinery can sort of take not just a physical load, but uh, yeah. sort of put you in a more concentrated spiritual place too. Share a piece of unexpected wisdom from your journey. What are you learning about yourself and the world, especially Ooh. in this new entrepreneurial effort? Yeah. You know, I th- there's so much. Well, I don't know if I have wisdom, but I have lots of unexpected. Does that, does that count? Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing, and it goes back to, like, making sure that our kids have an appreciation for this type of work. You know, every ink pen or book or piece of paper was warehoused somewhere, and somebody moved that with a forklift, and then they delivered it in a big truck. To where we can consume it and I think my biggest takeaway from working in you know this kind of canning service industry space is I have a whole new appreciation for supply chain and you know just what it takes for work to be done in our country and we should all have I think a deeper appreciation for that because it's important and it's the backbone of a lot of our economic, you know, success. And so every time you go to a restaurant and you order a potato, where did that potato come from? So it's given me a lot of um, time and sort of bandwidth, brain width, if you will, to think about how did stuff get to where it is? Who was involved in that? You know, have I appreciated the people that made that kind of thing happen? Um, So that might be maybe the the thing that comes to mind. I just, I have a new appreciation for different professions, hmm. I think. I, I think most of the time when we hear about entrepreneurs and what they're doing, we assume um, a fascination with growth and a fascination with, I mean, growth of business, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, making things happen and creativity and energy. Uh, you've described your entrepreneurial venture <laughs> as all of those things, sure, yeah. uh, but also a kind of cool spiritual practice. Yeah. Well, I think any entrepreneur 
really would be lying if they didn't have that experience too. I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And I've had a lot of entrepreneurs tell me that, you know, someone calls and they want to use us. It's like the best feeling in the whole wide world. And then, you know, the next day you turn around and cans aren't going to arrive on time or this piece of machinery that you needed that you can't get is really expensive or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just out of your reach. And so you have to let another client go to someone else. And that's hard. Um, but I, it teaches you a lot about what you're made of. I mean, when, when the buck stops with you, the buck stops with you. And that's really stressful. And, and, you know, there have definitely been times where I've thought, like, have I bitten off more than I can chew here? And that's a new feeling for me. I didn't always, I didn't typically have that feeling in other professions. So it's been very humbling in that regard. Um, but yeah, you know, it's funny. I think having taken entrepreneurship in the MBA class, I think people who are not maybe entrepreneurs focus on those, you know, like we all think about Jeff Bezos and like, listen, cheers to him. Like he figured it out. Uh, hats off, you know. Um, but I would be so fascinated to know how he built the first website. If you look at the first Amazon website, it's really clunky and mm -hmm. it just sells books. And my hunch is it probably took him a while to get that website up and running and it was probably really hard and he probably had to figure out how do you employ a computer programmer how do you even write a computer program to sell something on the internet i mean people weren't doing that at that point and so yeah it's really shiny and cool now but you know my my hunch is probably the beginning was a little scrappy i could be wrong jeff if you're listening <laughs> be our next guest. Phone on in and tell us if it was hard in the beginning. That's right. I'll watch the lines. I'll watch the lines. Um, I think it's also great that you talk about the community of entrepreneurs, right? And the, the you mentioned the supply chain, where things come from, how they get to where they're going. Um, and I, I hear that from other business owners sometimes uh, about how much, although entrepreneurship looks like an individual effort, mm. especially to people like me who are in you know large organizations, um, it's actually very community-oriented, very connected, and, and oh. very plugged in. Um, yeah. So another great set of theological metaphors there, right? That we um, sometimes the practices that are the best for us uh, are the ones that connect us uh, to the most different people and the most diverse group of different people. Because you're working with a lot of people who would never have their kids at your school. A hundred percent. And what I love about it, like I found this great place up the road that sells really great rubber hoses. We have to use a lot of hoses in the in the canning industry, you probably can imagine. And so I found these people and this guy, I mean, when was the last time you went and looked for an air compressor hose? <clears throat> you know, we have like 60 gal a 60 gallon drum air compressor, so it's huge, you know, it's massive. So it has to have some pretty powerful stuff to hook into it. And I had no idea this place existed. And these dudes are cool. Carolina rubber, if anybody ever needs anybody, walk on up there, I mean, they are awesome. And you know, they're just, to your point, like, they're not people that I would have ever have gotten to know. Um, I mean, when was the last time you met somebody who makes mead, for heaven's sakes? Like, that's cool. I don't know how to do that. So I have a whole new appreciation for people that can do all these cool things. And, um, you know, I have a guy in New Jersey who sends me cans, and he's super nice. And, you know, it, it's just, it's been, that kind of goes back to the humbling piece. Like, nobody does it alone. 
that's impossible. I mean, maybe unless you're in consulting, but even then I'd argue you have to have people. And, you know, I have a bank that supports me and believes in me that, you know, loaned us some money. And I have, you know, a guy that works for me who, bless his heart, why he ever thought this was a good idea. You know, like there are days where I'm like, well, I hold on, I'll be right there. You know, I'm trying to do 45 things and also be a mom and I'm coming to this warehouse and, you know, holding down two jobs. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it takes a village for sure, uh, 120%. And I think that's kind of a beautiful gift. Yeah. Wow. Kate, thanks so much for doing this. I, I was excited about this conversation. It's been richer and more fun than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, so thanks for sharing some of this journey and, and thinking through the spiritual aspects of it and, and the ways that it might suggest something about what all of our vocations might be. Well, thanks for having me. This was lots of fun. Thank you for listening. Answering is a podcast of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Music is composed and produced by Dr. Mark Audrey Graves. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast site so that others can find us and be part of the project. You can connect with us on the St. Paul's website, stpaulswinstonsalem.org, or on our podcast site, anchor.fm slash answering. We look forward to connecting with you either place, in person, online, in prayer, as we all do the work of answering.